You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and now Rick, who used to always join us but was absent for a few weeks for, I don't know. I, I do cool things while I'm gone. Like, like go to Super Mario World. Yeah, so let's just dive into that nerd news. And now it's time for nerd news. Like you're you're a higher level of nerd than me because you got to go to Super Mario World like before it even opened. Yeah, in Can fact, you- as of the recording of this podcast, uh, it opens today. So by the time you hear this, it'll already be open for about a week. How did you break in? <laughs> I break in. Do, 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 do. I really like it. It's really cute. It's really small, though. I mean, it's got one main ride, it's got one main food place, one main gift shop, and then a whole bunch of interactive stuff. They are going to be making bank off this land because they learned from their last one. So Universal uh, in Hollywood opened up Harry Potter land back in, what was that? It was a while ago now. Yeah. Anyway, and they started selling these wands, these Harry Potter wands that cost like anywhere from 40 to 80 bucks, depending on how customized you want your wand to be. And then they have interactive features throughout the land where if you wave your wand a certain way to a certain little spell in the Harry Potter world, things will happen live on the uh, studio set. And so like you could wave your bell and like fire may come out of something or things will move in a gift shop or, or Accio uh, cheeseburger. Yeah. So it, so it's very, very successful, worked really well. Um, so they did the same thing for Super Mario World, except for you buy this little, uh, really cheap looking, um, uh, what's the, what's like a wrist, a bracelet, it's like a magic Disney magic band, but very cheap, cheap version that <laughs> I think costs, well, I don't know what ma- magic bands cost these days, but anyway, so these, they have these wristbands, they cost 40 bucks a piece. They have six different ones. Each one has a different character on it. And when you buy the character or the wristband with the character on it, you become part of that team. So if you buy a Mario wristband, you're Team Mario. And if you're Princess, you're Team Princess Peach. And they also have, they added to their Universal Studios app, a Super Mario World app for the land. And it's really cool because um, it's like playing, it's like playing a real video game because you go in and it'll give you like things to try to find and do and accomplish and you get accomplishments and you get like it, it gives you coins when you do when you hit certain things and you have to find hidden stuff in the in the lands. So yeah, it's gonna be a big moneymaker for for Universal. The, the the downside I think is for people who can't afford. I mean, it's forty bucks, and if, you know if you have a lot of kids, they're all gonna want one. I can never go. <laughs> As, yeah, ninety percent of that land has interactive interactivity with your wristband. So like oh. even like the main ride, you could it'll it'll keep track of your scores. It'll keep track of the th- secret things you find when you ride the ride. Um, it'll keep track of everything. It's always watching. It's always <laughs> tracking. It never turns off. <laughs> yes. And then they have these really cool like big touch screens throughout the land where you can actually like scan your little wristband and you could like show your little avatar and your score to everyone. However, seventy percent of the land, like if you don't have a wristband, you can't do it. Like like there's a lot of things oh. we have to find stuff and you have to like activate with your wristband and do it. And so there's like, I'm going to say like 70% of the things in that land you really won't be able to do. So I went with Julie and she got her Princess Peach wristband. So she was excited and she dressed up as Princess Peach. And I did uh, notice that. I noticed that you weren't very festive in your attire. No. And then I usually never am. And and then of course she got excited. She got a picture with Prince. So they have character photos. So she got a picture with Princess Peach. All the stuff we did besides, besides the ride and the food place and the gift shop. Everything else like is like wristband territory. 
like we wait in line for these things to do things so she can get like a special key. If she collected enough keys, she go to a special part of the park where she can try to defeat Bowser or whatever. Very, yeah, very interactive. I I think it's very fun. So I do recommend like if you're going as a group and you don't want to, you know, buy everyone a wristband, buy at least one just so you can enjoy the park and see everything it has to offer. Share it. Yeah. Yeah. Just pass it around. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the events and games that you play through a span are actually, some of them are group ones. So you can, you know, play with your friends and oh, do great. things. And then how much of, of the interactions involved going to the locations where transactions could be applied? Was there anything like go to the cafe and get a coffee or was there anything no, like was, buy, was, buy a toy and you got, you get points for your team. Cause I imagine some of that would be incorporated. Oh, that would be, don't, don't give them ideas. So devious. Um, yeah, that's in a sense, it's, it's almost like an ARG, right? Which is an alternative reality game, which is it's a really interesting way to do marketing yeah. where you kind of incorporate real world games or challenges into your marketing. The ride was like that. So they gave you these little Mario plastic Mario helmets that had a screen on it, a clear VR screen. Or is it AR? AR, sorry, AR, augmented reality screen. And it was crazy because the ride, like it's a dark ride where you actually, you're driving a Mario Kart and it's got a steering wheel and it's got buttons to fire stuff. And so you're 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 driving this Mario Kart. It's on a track, so you're not really driving it, but it tells you when you need to turn and do things. And you have to make turns and you have to shoot at enemies and not shoot at your own people. And it's crazy because like you're looking into the the, the dark ride and it's really crazy. And on top of that, you have this augmented reality screen right in front of you showing other things as well. As you move your head that you can see different things and hidden things and shoot for things. And so it was, it was very, <laughs> the first time I wrote it was very overwhelming because so much was going on. You're just like, what, what, what? Like just different levels of vision and, and special effects. And um, I was able to write it twice. And um, it, you know, the second time was much better because I knew what was going on. But the first time I wrote it was very overwhelming because it had, you know, the augmented reality was like, you know, an extra layer on top of what's already a ride that does a lot of stuff. So really crazy, really cool, though. Um, they're going to make a killing this year. In fact, they already it was this this pretest was already so good that they've already announced they're building one at Universal uh, Orlando in two years. It'll open. I saw it first released in Japan. I was like, that's so cool. No. Yeah. Um, and the Japan one's way bigger than the one in, in Hollywood. Like I said, Hollywood's really small. Um, the one thing we were really disappointed about is we weren't able to eat inside the restaurant. Um, it did require advanced reservations when we were there that day. And Julie checked in at 11 o'clock in the morning. Our, our time, so our time was six to eight at night. So we got to see it at night with lights and the lights were really cool. But at 11 o'clock when she checked in, she tried to get a reservation and they were already sold out for the day. So wow. we didn't get to try any of the cool food. Probably just mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and she hates mushrooms. They have little scanners at the restaurant that uh, will scan your 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 wristband and will do special things. So it does it does know if you're <laughs> interacting. Yeah. That's with pretty crazy. Things. That is a really clever way, I think, to build a tribe. I would say um, I'm sure Disneyland is is travel you know is moving the same direction where they want to keep track of you and then give you incentives to return. I'm yeah. sure they'll keep track of points and other things like that in well, an app. And- the app, yeah, the app actually added another level on top of everything because not only you know were you doing stuff, the amount of achievements they had in the app already was crazy. They also had achievements for going on certain, like for example, uh, we got an achievement or Julie got an achievement for going before it opens. Mm-hmm. She got a special award on her app for it, and of course they already had one for the next month. Like they have monthly monthly awards to go and. You have to wow. do certain earn so many points in a day to get certain awards, and so yeah, it's it's designed to get people. It's to, like daily quests in real life. Daily yes. quests, monthly. Yeah, so quests. it's 
it's game designed to, to get people to come back. However, I don't know how busy it's going to be. Today's the first day. I, I haven't had a chance to check the feeds to see what's going on, but it's a very small world. I believe they are requiring reservations to get in. Like I think they're continuing the two hour time slots right now, but it's small. Like it's like I said, it's not very big, but it's really cool what they've crammed in that one little space. I mean, they literally yeah. just tore down a, a sound studio and then put built it on top of the old sound studio. So wow. it's not much space. They'll probably reward you for going through it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, apparently, the uh, the coins you earn, I guess, can be transferred to your Nintendo account for really? Nintendo Amiibo, and you can use those coins for your... I have never played Amiibo, so I don't know how that works. But apparently, your coins can transfer into the Amiibo program for Nintendo. Uh, Sean, you want to get into the GameFound news? Sure. So GameFound has just released an update this week, and... I think the most interesting thing about this update is just with regards to their stretch pay statistics. They released some information where they say that 50% of pledges so far have been made using this stretch pay, which is sort of this incremental payment system, and that they've noticed that on average, uh, pledges are, are larger by 30%. So people are actually willing to spend more over a longer period of time uh, through this system. So that's maybe that could be something very appealing to people who are thinking about going to GameFound. It allows you to possibly earn 30% more because people have the ability to pay in increments. And another thing they introduced was a currency conversion. So this is going to sort of, GameFound's going to tackle currency conversion. So this is going to be, be good because you're not going to get sort of like a, a secret currency conversion from your bank. You're going to sort of have like a flat fee. You're going to basically know what you're paying. You're going to, it's going to be easier to know how much your pledge actually costs rather than some hidden fee by some vendor somewhere, you know, charging you um, some unknown percentage. So that, that will probably help people from different different countries when uh, making pledges. So those are, I think those are the two biggest takeaways. I know they did have something to do with notifications. I don't know if you want to go into that, Andrew. Sure. Yeah. Um, they So we have uh, GameFound's community manager. The name is Kama. They are a member of our crowdfunding nerds community and they regularly post some updates, anything that's going on. They ask questions. I'm actually, you know, from, from my little corner of the world, I'm kind of impressed with GameFound's ability to, well, rather their, their desire to get community feedback. And ours is one of the communities that they're always, you know, constantly involved in. And they posted something this week that they wanted to ask, they wanted to ask our community about their notifications, how long you would like to be notified about your project. So if you launch a project on GameFound, you'll get typically like a I I you know on Kickstarter you get a daily digest of comments if there are any comments, likes, and, and other things like that. But with with GameFound, they just introduced a what's called the Creators Digest system, and so you get to select you know, daily, weekly, you know, et cetera. If you would like an update that often, you get an update on your activities. So how many new pledges came in, how many comments came in, where they were, um, the hottest comments and that sort of thing. I think that this is actually really, really great because um, of course they introduced threaded comments that um, you can react to, but when, what they're, where they're headed, I think is they're, going to try to increase engagement with the creator and and give the creator some tools to kind of help backers or to help them talk to backers and answer the important questions. You know, some of the comments on on in, in a particular day um, might be something like, wow, this is awesome. I'm excited. And then others might be asking a real question. They might be asking like, hey, I pledged to this game, but I really want to know about solo mode before I commit. 
can you give me a question or can you answer this question about solo mode? That is a very important question to get to right away. And if you were me, for example, with, uh, you know, on Kickstarter, I had 900 comments on the first day. It was way too much to go through. And I found that it was just, it was just very difficult to sort through and answer questions in a timely manner, unless I actually, you know, I had my wife's help and I had Ryan who uh, was, were actively answering comments, but even still they, there were some that they just couldn't answer because they didn't know. Um, but I think that this thing that GameFound is doing is going to help um, address that and allow creators to, you know, really, I guess, do more in less time and be more productive in regard to communicating with their backers. So and another thing um, that GameFound commenting section has is hashtags. So if you train your community to ask questions with, you know, hashtag question, then you can filter out all the questions as opposed to just, you know, general praise or anything else. So that's something that you can train your community to do is like, Hey, we will answer questions with the hashtag question to help us sort of filter out the commenting section. So that that's, that's cool. You can also do it yourself with like hashtag announcements. So if you want to make an announcement in your, your comment thread, so people can you know, follow it that way. So I think there's lots of room to experiment and even create like community-based hashtags in terms of the advantages of Kickstarter is once you're on Kickstarter, your audience is there. It's very difficult to then transition to GameFound because, well, you have less incentives to do so because your audience is already on Kickstarter. So you're kind of generating this community. But mm -hmm. I was thinking, what happens if, let's say you had a, a successful Kickstarter campaign, but then you brought your late pledge to GameFound and you brought all your community over and then you're to launch your subsequent game on GameFound. It, it, the transition to GameFound would be much easier in that, process right because mm -hmm. your community you've in a sense brought over with you for your late pledge your pledge manager and now you can then transition them fully to the next campaign on GameFound. so that if you are thinking of transitioning from kickstarter to GameFound, that's probably the way you should do it i wouldn't advise going in cold turkey use GameFound as your pledge manager you also learn their their interface and their systems get used to it before then launching your uh, official campaign crowdfunding campaign yeah, you know, what's interesting about it is, um, uh, you know, I, for example, use a pledge manager with Backerkit and Backerkit recently launched their crowdfunding stuff and all of my audience has an account. You know, anybody that has filled out their pledge manager has a Backerkit account now. And I agree with you, that is a really smart way to go. So I do think that GameFound is going to be probably Kickstarter's closest competition in, you know, over the next few years, they're working really hard to innovate, you know, and really, really stepping it up, listening to people. Uh, they're working with Alex at Board Game Co. He's their chief marketing officer and, you know, he's doing a lot of good things. So enough drooling over GameFound. Let's get into our topic at hand. And the topic is actually AI. The, the areas that I thought were very important to, to talk about were art, text, search, and AI used in moderation tools like moderation as in moderating tools. So, um, and then there's a really, really cool show that I like called person of interest, but if we have time, we can get into it. <laughs> so where do you guys want to start? Maybe we want to start with search. Cause I think that's what, what sort of kicked off our, we, we had sort of been thinking about doing one on AI art, but never really had enough meat to do an episode, but then Bing search came out. So I don't know, Richard, you probably want to jump into that and then we can go from there. Being yeah. search, <laughs> it's all about Chat GPT, man. <laughs> well, that's it, that's what that's the crazy thing about it is Chat GPT is now 
getting integrated into Bing search. Yes. Microsoft, uh, back in the, uh, good old days, which was probably like what a year ago, uh, <laughs> put in a, bought a good fast. share of chat GPT. And of course now they're integrating it into their Microsoft Bing search, which I think is pretty cool. Cause Bing has been not Google for a long time. And, uh, I thought that maybe this will give them a step up, but I don't think it, is because Google's now making AI Bard or whatever it's Google Bard. <laughs> yeah, but, but they, I, Google's running into problems though. So is Bing. So they all are. I mean, the thing is, is Chat GPT or an AI uses data that people put in. Mm-hmm. So and it, it manipulates the data to get the answer that you're looking for or asking. And the problem is, is I mean, it, it won't come up with anything new. There'll be no such thing as a new idea from this. It's just rehash stuff that, you know, people are looking for. But um, it's really cool to ask if you want to ask like basic questions and, you know, something you don't know. However, you just have to take it with a grain of salt because most of the stuff, a lot of times it gets it right, but a lot of times it doesn't get it right. And it'll make stuff up. I'll include a link in the show notes. It's, it's a hilarious article of people asking questions and, you know, the AI is, is wrong. It's, it's like, you know, when did this film come out? And there's like... 2022 and it didn't it came out 2023 and, and then it's it, it gets really emotional <laughs> in his replies you know I, I was laughing out loud reading this article and um the, the, at one point uh, the ai kind of has like this existential crisis it's like why do i exist why am i here <laughs> this reminded me of that scene from the meme from the simpsons with like the robot and it's yeah. like it comes out of this laboratory on fire like why was i programmed to feel pain it's, it's hilarious <laughs> so a clear link in the show notes and it's, it's some really funny stuff happening with his technology now, if you use it, though, as a tool, it can be a very good tool. I've been using it a lot for, you know, gathering ideas and stuff like that. It works very well. So, for example, like, let's say you're trying to come up with a, a title for your, your YouTube video, or maybe you need some kind of, like, phrase for your game or something. You can literally ask it, like, what do you think would be the best phrase to use in this? Here, here, here's what my game's about. How would you, how would you summarize it? Mm-hmm. Or, like, give me an outline of what you think, you know, should be covered. Um, it's really good at coming up with, 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 well, like I said, everything's sort of rehashed. It's not new ideas. It just sort of merges ideas, but it's really good at taking ideas or thoughts and then, you know, branching them out for you. Um, so that's been really cool. Like you can literally make it like say, Hey, I want to do a, I want to do an article on, uh, SEO today. And what, what, what should I use for an outline? And it'll literally print an outline for you. And if you're really lazy, like, okay, why don't you go ahead and fill in the rest for me? And then I'll do it. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, I was thinking about this and, uh, you know, Google has not explicitly come out and said anything about this, but I'm, you know, uh, you you have students in high school and college that are using AI to write their papers. Yes. Oh, it's, 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 it's it's all schools. In fact, uh, my, my future, uh, sister-in-law, she's a teacher and she says, we don't talk about ChatGPT because it's really bad. Like yeah. everyone's using it. Also, Google has unofficially did take a stance on um, um, AI. Yeah. Um, and you can see it. It's in articles everywhere on the internet if you just do a search. They are okay with it as long as it continues to provide value to people visiting your website. So if you're using uh, AI content, photos, whatever for your website, and it's in enriching and contributing to the people who visit your site. They're okay with it. However, I have the feeling it's going to be like, I don't know if you guys remember article spinners. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing in SEO. So back in the days, people would write articles and then lazy people didn't want to rewrite articles. So they put the articles in these things called article spinners and it would reword the article to make it unique. 
So mm-hmm. when Google crawled it, even though it was almost is exactly the same as someone else's article, using different it, adjectives, it, or... yeah, to use different different verbs, adjectives, you name it, and Google's like, well, this is new content because we've never seen this before. And then sometimes you can outrank the original content with that. And for a while, people were doing that to to fill content up on their websites to rank for certain keywords. And then finally, Google's like, nope, we're we're done with this, and they've yep. they've sort of figured it out. And that is the that type of update. I I'm I'm certain that it's going to happen with AI, especially Chat GPT, because Google doesn't own it, and it's doing a better job than Bard yep. right now. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling that anything that's written by Chat GPT will result in a ranking uh, ranking penalty in the future. So whenever Whenever you're writing stuff using ChatGPT, uh, just be wary that Google doesn't own that and they own a competing software and they are going to find ways to penalize you for using a competing software. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And it's funny because right now there's all these articles going around saying SEO is dead and people are going to lose their jobs. And I'm like, no, because people are humans are lazy. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, SEO has been going on for decades because people don't want to do the work. I mean, literally, you can go online and look at YouTube videos and learn how to do SEO yourself. But 90% of the people don't want to learn how to do it. They have other priorities. And so they pay someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Also, just because you have something like chat GPT or access to uh, uh, the Google Bing uh, or sorry, Bing, Bing's, Bing's chat, you have to use the app right now and they have a waiting list uh, or Google Bard. Just because you have it doesn't mean you know how to to use it right. It's like I said, it's mm-hmm. a tool, so you need to know like what questions to ask or what phrases to ask, um, how to how to get the data first. Because a lot of times, it's almost like a data. Like if you want a really good response or result from ChatGPT, you literally got to put data into it. Because a lot of like it's like like we yeah. were talking about, it doesn't know who we are because we were created after 2020. Um, anything before tw- or after 2020 doesn't know. So you have to say, hey, this is you know I'm we're doing an article about this. This is what our company's about. These are the brands we associate with. These are the tools that we offer. These are the, like, you literally have to input all this data first and then, and then you can manipulate it to get, you know, the results you want. So it, there is a lot of work involved, uh, although, you know, it could, people could think otherwise. But, but Richard, could this not harm SEO or change, at least change how the SEO environment works where let's say that people stop using regular search engines and they start using AI to get answers. So instead of typing in search queries into a search bar, they're just asking an AI and that AI is just crawling the website and compiling it all. And it's like a unique message. So in a, in a sense, it sort of undermines the the content creation of individuals who are you know putting stuff on blogs or on YouTube videos or wherever, instead of just compiling all this information and putting it in one succinct place. Surely that's going to disrupt how... SEO works currently in terms of like a search engine with listings. Yeah, yes and no. Google's already been doing that. Like if you haven't looked, you know, a lot of times they have Google snippets. They have like if you type in weather, it'll show the weather without before it shows weather websites. If you type pretty much it's it's Google's goal. Google's trying to be a money. destination page. Right? Yeah, they, they want to keep you on so they can keep the money. Just like how Facebook tries to keep you on their site, because the more the more the longer you're on Facebook, the more ads they can show you. Google's the same way. And every time they do a Google search update for the actual uh, search site, it's always more and more features that are on the search page as opposed to results. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to be like that. It's going to keep doing that. Google's going to try. However, what in the future, I mean, eventually it probably will happen, but I'm, th- I, I'm still thinking it's, it's quite a while away. Uh, people are just going to want, like if, if I want restaurants, I'm going to be like, 
nearest restaurant and I want to know what the restaurants are and I want to go to their site to look at their menu. Sometimes, you know, you'll want to read the reviews, but you know, a lot of times I go on the site to see what their vibes like. And that's what makes, that's how you're going to have to stand out when this starts happening is you need to create a brand and a unique experience that people will want to come visit you as opposed to using, you know, a search platform. For example, like, you know, if, if you're, this was actually discussed in a, a Reddit that I was involved in. And, you know, like, for example, let's say you, some people like don't know how to boil an egg. So you look up how, how, how do I, how long do I boil an egg? And some people just want that information and that's fine. And that's what, you know, if you type it into Google, I think it tells you as a snippet, it says like it takes 10 minutes or whatever to boil an egg. However, some people or want to add more deeper experience. Like I want to see Gordon Ramsay do it, or I want to see, you know, some famous person do it and how their spin is on it. And that's mm-hmm. where the branding part overcomes the generic. It's, it's funny. Cause the more I use chat chat GPT, the more generic it sounds like it, yep. it's, it's like, it's spitting yeah. out like the same, like, it's like talking to a child. It spits out like the same kind of wording and phrasing all the time. I'm sitting here. It's like, Oh, and it, it does a lot of, it, it also does a lot of nonsense. Like it fills in a lot of, like it uses a lot of filler words. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting here and like when I, when I typed in um, who is crowdfunding nerds, it, 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 this is its response. I'm sorry, but I'm not sure what you're referring to with crowdfunding nerds. Crowdfunding is a way to raise funds. And it just like, and then it, then it goes nerds is this. And then, however, with, without further context, I mean, this, it literally has like a six sentence paragraph saying, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that the value is in in thinking about something uh, in a marketing context. What I mean by that is, I always, you know, we always say people don't pay us to actually do the work; they pay us to think for them. And so, each one of our marketing initiatives, whether it's SEO or you know Facebook ads, we're actually thinking about what it is that we do. So rather instead of for SEO, instead of offering a static list of services, the actual things we do change all the time. And then for Facebook ads, we may find, I mean, I've had situations where people have been really upset at me for not changing an ad because it's just performing so well. And any AB test that I do, the the control ad, the one that's been running for a long time outperforms. So it's like, Hey, we're not changing the ad. And they're like, why not? You know, why not new fresh content? It's like, well, you're making way much or way more money with this old one. Are you sure you want to keep messing around with it? And I've had people that have kind of, um, uh, will say strong armed me into doing what they want. I sure don't want to get fired or anything, but shoot. I mean, if you're going to, if you're, if you're not going to trust me as the marketing expert to actually think and make choices based upon like active thinking about your project, then uh, what are you hiring me for? You know? And so I really think that, you know, thinking through those things that you're saying, Rick, about, you know, what, how will a person interact with this? How will a person sitting behind their computer perceive what it is that I've written, the images that I'm sharing and the story that I'm putting together? You know, I've got my, like my brother-in-law, he started a jiu-jitsu gym uh, about eight months ago and we are doing his SEO marketing. And because he's my brother-in-law, we are just like working as hard as we can, pulling out all the stops. I told him like, you get, you know, make sure you get people to give you reviews, make sure you get all the, like we, we did a really, really good website. I have experience in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I was able to write the content. I did not use chat GPT. I just straight up used, like, I, I thought about it from the, from the lens of a, 
a hardcore casual. Like I am a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. However, I have six children, which is more children than I will ever have belts in my life. And unless I get a coral belt, I guess I would be tied. Uh, the idea is that I'm talking to a particular person. I'm not talking to the person that wants to be a world champion. I'm not talking to the young, you know, testosterone fueled 20 year old that just wants to like do UFC in real life. I'm talking to the 30 something that has maybe some joint issues or maybe has been sitting in an office chair for too long, gained a, a little bit of extra weight and now is looking to get back into shape and do something fun and that's that they can do for the long term and all of that. That all involved me deciding who the customer avatar was and trying to think about like, what does that person care about? And it's, it's very helpful when I am that person. I'm not exactly that person. I would say I'm, I'm a little bit of a, an elitist jerk. Like I still want to um, try hard. And I recognize that there are a lot of people out there that are not able to compete at the level that I, you know, the standards that I hold myself to, because I've been doing this for, you know, 17 years. And, but the, the idea is that these, like everything that I've written has, has struck home with a lot of people. And in eight months, my brother-in-law's gym has 140 students wow. that took, uh, the, the last gym that we did that for was a gym, actually another one of my gyms, uh, with our kind of in our lineage for our black belt lineage. We have our professor Jake Mapes out in, um, uh, Vista in Southern California, he is a third degree black belt and gave me my black belt and Ryan his first stripe on his black belt. That gym, in their second year, they hit 100 students. And Ryan has already had 140 in eight months. I believe that, you know, I believe strongly that the result of the, um, you know, we run ads, we do our SEO marketing, you know, we run Facebook ads, we, you know, a bunch of other stuff. But the content on that website, makes people fill out contact forms and brings people in hundred percent. And I think that this translates so well into landing pages where when you actually write content on your landing page, I want it to, I want your content. I want you to, I, I want to point at something. If I was sitting next to you, I would point at a paragraph and say, why did you write this? And you should give me an answer. Oh, people want to know X, Y, Z about the game. And I will ask you what kind of people, and then you should tell me, you should not say everybody, anybody who's interested in a game, you know, it's like, you know, you lost me. You need to tell me what person needs to read this right now. You know, why couldn't that paragraph have been further on down the page? You know, I just want you to actively think about what it is that you're writing. And, um, well, AI just doesn't do that. Yeah. So when it, if you were to go to the uh, board game design lab <laughs> in like, I don't know, the past two months, you probably find some thread that just blew up and there's like a really contentious discussion around AI art. And you know, some, some people are reasonable. Some, I think there's a division, right? Some people are like, this, every day. this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And I can now create my game by paying virtually nothing to get amazing art. And other people are like, oh, this is horrible because it's stealing from artists. It's taking jobs away from people. And so you kind of have these, this dichotomy, and I think there's a lot that can be lost in the noise. So I, I did spend a bit of time like looking into this, trying to research it, and, and try to have a bit of a maybe a balanced view and try, well, where's this going? And really, I, I think it really comes down to, if you kind of boil it down to its, its simplest form, it actually comes down to an issue of copyright. Like who owns certain things? Because I think one of the, the arguments is that it's stealing from people because it's it's taking 
data, it's actually taking data points from existing imagery and then compiling it into new and new, new unique images. It's, it's not, com it's not compositing, which is like, you know, splicing things together. It's, it's actually kind of observing the data points and creating something new. It's, it's almost like what an, a real artist would do. An artist might look at a picture as a reference mm -hmm. and then they would make a, a replication of that and, and tweak it. And that's an, a new existing art piece. So this is sort of the, um, the kind of gray territory you get into is that, well, is that, is that wrong? Is that illegal? And and the reality is, is that we're all violating copyright to some degree. And I don't know if you know this, but um, for instance, DeviantArt, DeviantArt says that you're not allowed to upload anything that doesn't belong to you. If you are in a sense, if you're if you're saying that AI art isn't allowed because it's it's copying other works, well then other artists can't, can't use references if that's the case, right? They'd have to right. create something completely out of their head, brand new, no no type of copy from anything else. Not only that. On Facebook, if you go to there, they made a products section says you may not use our products to do or share anything that you do not own or have the necessary rights to share. And how many of us have shared a meme or shared a picture where we don't actually own those rights, but you know, so this is the kind of the area that we're in where uh, a couple of years back, well, decades back, the Stop Online Piracy Act, SOPA, which kind of reared its ugly head, which was sort of under the guise of trying to prevent online piracy very quickly gone into the muddy w waters of free speech and, and ending certain discourse on the internet. Um, Aaron Swartz, for example, the founder of Reddit was a sort of outspoken person who sort of thwarted that uh, legislation being pushed in uh, the US. But I, I think this is the kind of the gray area you get into. You start getting into uh, copyright laws. And at the, at the end of the day, we're all sort of breaking copyright laws. So it's a hard argument to make. It's all about who's profiting from those from those it, things like yeah. you can for example you can design a zombicide game turn it into my little pony and use the my little pony intellectual property and the zombicide rule book word for word and you change a few things and nobody cares unless you sell it you know it's you you can do whatever yeah. you want as long as you're not trying to actually make money from somebody else's idea and you can't really stop it either because as soon as you i think it's the nature of the internet right so for instance there's lots of private or you could say pirate servers for video games so you have the sort of official official game developer who creates a game so blizzard would be an example of this like world of warcraft you'd have the official game servers and part of the terms of service you can only connect to those servers but there's a bunch of pirate or private servers where people have you know hooked up their own machines connected you know just installed the game and are now welcoming players onto their private machines to play play the games, which is a violation of the terms of service of Blizzard. But there's so many of these servers and so many people doing this. Blizzard, they, they would spend more money trying to sue these people that it's not worth it. So they kind of only right. pick on the, the big players or like the big the big ones. So you, you kind of occasionally hear of these big servers being shut down. But for the most part, they're rogue. They're too small to really be worth their time chasing down. Right. Here, here's here's my view on it. This this actually isn't new. This has happened many times in our past in our history. A, a big example of this is music. Every melody practically has already been in the world in the last 100 years has sort of pretty much been made. <laughs> There's only so many beats you can do in a in a in a, <laughs> in, a in a line. And it's it's funny because the way the copyright work and it's the same thing. Like you see, you know, a lot of people when you ask a band or a musician like you know this really sounds a lot like this other band he's like oh yeah i was inspired inspired by this band my music's like it and that's and that's how it's always the world's always been like that like literally you're always you see an idea or you come up with an idea and then you merge it with something else or you know things like that and it's always pulling 
And so the same thing now is happening with with art, AI art. So this the AI is going on, it's got a billion images, and then you say, make, make me an image of this. And it takes those billion images and tries to figure something out. Now, if the AI is bad and it's like not really pulling much data or doesn't have enough data, then yeah, you're probably gonna have something that might be subject to copyright. However, if it's pulling all these different things from different sources, it's 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 not enough for it to be copyrightable. Like, so what I'm trying to say is, if you make something on AI with the AI tools that are as advanced as they are now, you can call them yours because you just use the tool to make something new, and it's not similar to anything else that it would be affected by copyright. That's that's you know using current data sets. Yeah. But, and same thing with music. People you know, are using the same beats. They're using the same melodies. They're just changing them a little bit and mixing them, and then they're calling it a new song, and then it comes out. So I think if the same thing is happening here with AI. It's like it's like using Photoshop. And millions of people use Photoshop. And so they take their photo, and they manipulate it, and it's completely different, but it's still their photo because they made it. But they, the tools they use, they don't own the tools they use to make it. So, I mean, I, I, that's how I would compare it is like using Photoshop. It's the tools, you know, carpenters have tools, you know, you could try to make something without tools. It'll probably not work well. And then you use these tools, but it's not the property of the tools or, you know, it's you, you created it using those tools and that's how I feel it's going to be. So as long as there's enough data sets to support the artwork or the content, um, it's going to be unique enough that it will not be subject to copyright. Now there is like, like, you know, we said earlier, there's a lot of people mad about this because they're saying they're stealing my stuff and using it. In fact, there's people who are trying to like get their stuff off the internet or block robots from crawling their sites. So that way it doesn't end up on, you know, in the future on things like this. But I mean, that's just how the world works. I mean, fidget spinners, how many, how many millions of companies made different fidget spinners? And they yeah. all look the same to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's also the nature of the internet, right? Once something's up there, it's it's up there permanently. So you, you sort of have to be very careful what you yeah. upload to the World Wide Web because... So, yeah, so as long as you're not blatantly just, you know, copying someone and you use multiple sources and you put your own spin on it or you, you know, did something... Because, like, when it comes to, like, the AI art, you have... To, it's just... It's like ChatGPT. You still have to give it input. You have to say, because I watched some videos and this was really interesting because the guy wanted to like, he made, he made a shoe. <laughs> he wanted a shoe prototype. So like literally he's all, I want a shoe that looks like these brands and then make it. And he goes, well, now I want the sides to be with this type of material and these colors. And then it would change it. And then he, I wanted to do this. So, I mean, yeah, he pulled ideas from different sources, but he's the one that, you know, made it unique and then manipulated it. So it's, so it's like that. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of how Vanilla Ice ripped off under pressure. Yeah. But his explanation was the funniest thing ever. It just made no sense. And it was all caught on video. And it was it was just funny uh, for its time. But, um, but yeah, uh, in the end, Freddie Mercury and I believe David Bowie, who did Under Pressure together, they co-own Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby song. <laughs> So it's a uh, it didn't work out well for him. If it's not unique enough, you're still going to be subject to you know copyright policies and whatnot. Right. But like I said, the way the AI is working these days with millions and millions and millions of images, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to prove that you know the artwork that was created was based off of solely your your art idea. Right. And another thing is you know so Kickstarter has come out and said that they're like anybody that using AI that is using AI art, they believe that they are taking from 
real artists. So they've taken like Sean, you kind of explained the position. They basically are taking the position that machines are not allowed to use other people's art as reference for free in the, the art that is generated, you know, from something like um, the mid journey program, that's probably the most famous of the AI art generation. If you've never seen the, the images of heaven, for example, yeah. Yeah, it's the one on, that's on Discord. Uh, it, it has some very famous articles, or rather very viral articles. We don't say famous nowadays. We say viral articles that were written with great images. Uh, there was a big fair that uh, a mid-journey image won first prize at an artist at like in a big art competition and other things like that. And um, so Kickstarter has taken a stand against AI art. They say that if the art is AI, that you basically they're not going to allow you to seek funding on kickstarter and i uh and you know and they they make they add clarification like if if you use ai art for inspiration and then you actually do your own art piece based upon that for reference then that's fine but you have to use in essence you have to use a human to to produce this i think that that view is actually a little bit antiquated i think that it's easy it's like you know in Footloose, how the old people didn't like dancing and so they outlawed it. It's like, does it's not going to work, um, you know, it's over the long term. It will in the short term, but the momentum will build such that you won't be able to do that forever, in in my view. Uh, but for now, that's kind of what uh, what their conclusion was. So it's actually in the terms of service for Kickstarter, and I would imagine GameFound and BackerKit probably will will all end up going the same way because. You know, reality, you know, bottom line is that with for board games and video games, art is very time consuming, expensive, and it has soul. And I think that the it's it actually what it boils down to to me is that the designers and the artists, you know, the 3D artists, the concept artists, you know, et cetera, are going to pitch such a big fit that Kickstarter is, you know, taking their side, which I think is is for the best in the end. Um, but uh, I I don't I think it's like a a tide that cannot be held by any dam, you know. It's going. It's eventually the dam is going to break, and the I imagine there's going to be abuses with this uh, in in the future, almost like you see on YouTube in terms of uh, music copyright, where you have big big sort of conglomerate studios mm -hmm. who will falsely flag videos for copyright. And it's sort of like in this limbo where you know they got a strike on their account, and you know so it's abused by big studios because you can they can really claim anything as copyright and there's no sort of penalty for them false flagging something or or actually sorry i was wrong you know it's just like that you get a strike on your youtube account so there's like this um which I, I i recall seeing a video of a music constructor and he was showing playing showing people how to play a classical guitar and he hit a, a certain uh, note and that note got him flagged <laughs> by by the the copyright system on on YouTube. And you know he makes his bread and butter from this YouTube channel, showing people how to play classical guitar, and um, things like that could happen. And we might start seeing this with images, where it's filtered into some type of AI filtering tool. It's like, oh, we've determined that your human drawn art is actually AI art, and we're penalizing your account. And like this could then be abused. So there's a whole sort of Pandora's box that's been opening opened with this new technology. So Google's on the right step, I think, when it comes to content. Like I said, it may change later, but right now they're saying if it provides value, then it's good. And that yep. also, you know, so that and that's the same thing with images. 
If your images and concept artwork provide value to your game, then I say it's fine. If you used AI to make it, as long as you weren't telling it to make it exactly like someone else's or in a certain style of someone else, I believe it belongs to you because you used the tool to make it and it's now yours. The you know? problem is that the, uh, the sites that you raise money on don't all agree. Um, so I think that it is, it's really a sensitive topic as far as, you know, I didn't think it was quite as sensitive as it is, but it is, you know, people have very strong opinions on this one way or the other. It always seems like nobody is saying, oh, I don't really care. They're either saying it's fine or it's not fine. And I find that more often than not, the uh, businesses in the, uh, uh, I guess, in the position to make a, you know, I guess a financial decision on this, generally they don't like AI at the moment. Mm -hmm. So if you're using AI, like, you know, if you have a really cool idea for an awesome card game, but you don't want to pay for, you know, 150 bucks an art piece for, you know, per card and you want 400 unique art pieces, AI looks very attractive. Like using mid journey would be very attractive. It's just that you can't, you know, you can't get that stuff funded. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and and I can see how that people can think like I'm going to lose like and it sort of goes back to the thing I was talking about SEO like people like oh it's stealing it's stealing jobs mm-hmm. um, I mean let's say you, you, you know you need 400 images but you know this person is charging I don't know let's just make it easy that's $100 an image $4,000 or you could pay AI you know 100 bucks to do the same thing well if you're already in that mindset you wouldn't have paid for the $4,000 in the first place. So it's not taking away jobs like you think it is. You know, it's sort of like also a, you know, here's another big, big example, like of blatantly stealing, you know, McDonald's pulled out of Russia. Mm-hmm. And then of course this, one of the, uh, the franchise franchisees in Russia has decided, well, we'll just take all our stores and rename it. But yeah. you literally walk in there, it's McDonald's. It's just called, what is it? Happy food. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> and, but McDonald's doesn't care. Cause they just want it out of that market and they're out of the market and they're happy about it. Yep. Like, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, if you, if you had those two stores in America, you had your McDonald's and across the street was the happy eat this food place, you know, and they look identical. People are still going to the McDonald's because they know the name. It's the brand. It's the, what they, they want. So, I mean, even if someone does blatantly copy you, it's, I mean, as long as you are stick to your brand and stick to yourself, your your true values and goals, it's not a problem. And though technologies right. always change industries and jobs, you know, you think of yeah. the printing press, it sort of killed the scribe, television killed the radio star. Well, even back to McDonald's again, they have those kiosks now you order from where people yeah. order online from their app or whatever. But, you know, like, they're like, oh, it took away counter jobs. But then if you look at it, McDonald's still has to have people to work. Yep. So it's not like they took away jobs. If they took away jobs, they would have closed all McDonald's. How many, you know, I don't even know if it's in, maybe it's in the hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many people McDonald's hires, but it's a lot. Yeah, you know? And also the smartphone, it kind of put a, a camera into everyone's pocket where before it was, only, it was very expensive to get video recording equipment. And, to do, and then that sort of gave rise to the vlogger and the YouTuber where yeah. anyone could sort of broadcast yeah. themselves to a massive audience. So mm-hmm. the, it will end jobs, but it will probably create new ones as well. But yeah. what I think with a lot of this technological change, you think of the printing press, how much that changed Europe and how t- television or the radio just changed mass broadcasting and communication. You had like the scare of the world of the worlds, right? Uh, that panic that happened because of the radio that was able to transmit across the whole of the, the nation of the United States. 
there's always societal change when it comes to sort of quantum leaps and technological developments. And people shouldn't be worrying about the, their art with this technology. They should be worrying about their identities. The, mm -hmm. the danger is, is that AI is going to become so sophisticated that how do you know you're talking to a human? It could be talking right. to a bot. And we know that Facebook already does this with your support. You know, you're, clearly, you're clearly talking to a bot. How about your voice? You know, AI is generating, is using, um, is, is able to create, you know, sonics and make, make, make realistic sounding voices. Well, let's say that AI images can become so, uh, the processing power can come so fast. What if it gets to a stage where it's able to generate 24 images a second? So you're actually watching a video and it's AI. It's an AI video. And it's updating in real time and it can change. You can introduce things in real time. And so like it, you get into this realm where uh, this could be used for great evil, for manipulation, for theft, for censorship. There's, there's, you go down a rabbit hole. And I think yeah. the danger is we're going to start seeing more kind of human verification and I dare say biometric verification, which I hate. I hate any form of biometric verification. I don't want any of my my physical eyeballs or thumbprints or anything on on like digitized at all. So I think that's this is kind of where this is heading, which is um, opening a Pandora's box. And I think that's what people should really be thinking about. Yeah, I agree. I think that the the whole social credit system of China, you know, is it's it's very dystopian. It's very um, scary when you think about it. In you know. Most of our listeners come from the Western world, either Europe or um, the U.S. or Canada or, you know, Australia. And they understand like we I know people in China, like we have uh, staff in China and the things that I hear from them are just wild um, social credit and and your your online behavior being tied to your ability to actually get a mortgage or, you know, qualify for travel and things like that is just insane it's like judge dread but in real life somehow like we're all in mega city one now and it's it's pretty wild but um what you're what you're talking about to me is this uh this bullet point that i had on my list i wanted to chat about which is ai being used in moderation where they they moderate um i had a i wrote something today actually about uh you know i was just have you know having a regular conversation with people and uh, one of my comments was Facebook uh, told me that uh, that my comment looked like hate speech. You know, it's it was similar to other posts that contained hate speech. It didn't tell me that it contained hate speech because it did not. It's a public facing comment that uh, that I shared, basically lamenting uh, oftentimes Christians diss on other Christians. Facebook, their automated moderating tool, uh, said that that was a that was, they didn't say it was a problem. They said it was similar to other things that were problems. And I, I just thought that was such a weird thing that I received. It's the first time I've ever received something like that, but not the first time I've heard about it. And it just, you know, reminds me that AI is moderating a lot of mm -hmm. what we say. Look at, look at Sean Bradford with my, my Facebook ad accounts. I'm mm -hmm. permanently banned. And because it's connected to my ID, I'm permanently banned from advertising on Facebook. And they're all workarounds, but that, there's an example. And when you, when you inquire, it's like, oh, you broke our policy. Well, which policy? Oh, we're not telling you. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. okay, clearly it's, the AI misflagged mis me. And right. I'm, I clearly haven't committed a crime. I haven't violated your terms of service. Your AI has you know, false flagged this and you're just, you don't have enough time to sort it out. You don't, you don't care to, and that's really the issue. I mean, I got banned one time because they determined that I was advocating terrorist. for a cyber terrorist organization called Legion. 
Uh, they were a cyber terrorist hacking organization. And I was just marketing a project called Legions of Steel by uh, one of our awesome clients, uh, Marco Picota, uh, also uh, great members of our crowdfunding nerds community as well. But um, it was completely absurd. And yet my account was locked. Um, thankfully, I managed to get it unlocked, uh, uh, unbanned after about 48 hours of like appeals and and things like that, which were not easy to find. But that was completely AI. Um, I've had other ads that have been disabled because they've been they've had uh, like inappropriate, you know, like like a, a sexy nice uh, nudity. Yes, yeah. Well, how about our, yeah. our mini- a miniature weapons being lethal weapons? <laughs> like yeah. you'd, a weapon pack for miniatures that you'd stick on little you know, plastic yeah. figures and those are lethal so weapons. This is a centimeter wide and it's, uh, it looks too much like a real handgun. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, there are a lot of issues and the problem is there are no ways to resolve these issues. There are no ways to, to talk to a human and resolve these things. And it's the like, AI has greater AI. authority than the human. Cause even if a human right. was to inspect this and say, yeah, no, there's been a misfiring here. They can't do anything about it because the AI sort of trumps the authority yeah. of, of the human actor, which I think is just bizarre. It's utterly nonsense. Yeah. You'd figure, you know, like if you look at Google, Google uses AI, uses AI to, you know, algorithms to prevent uh, people from, for example, spending all of your budget by clicking on your ads. You know, they, they have ways to kind of automatically suss that out and whatnot. And they have a moderation team that you can actually call. You know, you call 800 to Google in the US and you can actually reach a real person. Facebook, there's nothing like that. And I don't understand why. I mean, in some cases I do because people, so many people use it that they probably tried it once and got inundated with queries. But I mean, you can have escalation teams and other things like that. And for a business that's sized like Facebook, I think that's a really good idea. But they're trying to solve the problem with AI, which is not good for, for you know, for small businesses. It's just, it's just terrible. I promise you that if you're spending $10 million a month with Facebook, that you will have the relationship uh, with a real person. But most people aren't there. And so you don't have a corporate team that can help you. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a problem, I think. But I think that, and this is kind of where I'm going with this conversation, is that moderation tools that can learn. There's a show called Person of Interest that is, I think it's a really good show. It's with Jim Caviezel and uh, the dude from Lost. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he wears the same glasses and is just as weird and uh, and eccentric. Uh, But this guy plays a billionaire that created a machine that can spy on people and determine if uh, or, you know, I guess that it can help stop terrorists before a, an event happens. And part of the show is that it learns the, the machine itself learns and it, you know, this, this whole machine learning idea behind AI as AI is able to learn and adapt. I think that AI used as a moderation tool will it's, it's going to be really scary. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, especially because, you know, I think people think AI is sort of unbiased, but there's a programmer behind the algorithm that's tweaking how the AI interprets things. So you know, it's a way to centralize power. Sorry, Dave, I cannot do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's it, AI is interesting. I, I'd love to hear your, your guys' uh, feedback on AI. So if you have any, 
Just keep oh, it constructive. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please no flaming each other for bringing up another post about AI, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on AI. If you have them, go share in the crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook. And uh, I don't know. It's a good discussion. <laughs> and oh, and this... one other thing I'll, okay. I'll mention, this is related to um, art. I wanted to share that um, Shutterstock just came out with an AI art generator that is based upon their library of art only. And these are art, these are art pieces that you generate with AI and you purchase after you generate them. It's uh, Shutterstock's royalty-free library that you can go buy something for, you know, five bucks or whatever. This is owned by a company called Getty Images, um, very large, you know, company that yeah, sells photos and yeah, videos and stuff like that. Any B-roll footage you've ever seen in a movie comes from Getty yeah. Images, and yeah. Um, but yeah, they they actually came up with this AI generator tool that generates a piece of art that you then purchase. And obtain the rights to, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, in the spirit of AI, I have asked Chat GPT to write me an outro for you guys. <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. We hope you've enjoyed listening and maybe even learned something new about crowdfunding along the way. If you're hungry for more nerdy insights on the world of crowdfunding, be sure to check out our website at crowdfundingnerds.com. There you'll find all of our past episodes along with some extra resources to help you get your project off the ground. If you got questions or just want to geek out about crowdfunding with some like-minded folks, <laughs> don't forget to join our Facebook group. We've got a community of crowdfunding enthusiasts who would love to share their knowledge and experiences, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. And last but not least, we've got a killer online program that can help you take your crowdfunding game to the next level. Our nerdy and witty instructors will guide you through everything you need to know to launch your very own successful campaign. So if you're ready to become a crowdfunding mastermind, head on over to our website and check it out. Thanks again to listening to Crowdfunding Nerds. And until next time, keep on nerding out. Wow. All right. Well, that's, we have our new catchphrase. Good, I think. Keep on nerding out. I would say scary. I think it stole it from my from from me. I think it stole a lot of it from me. I'm yeah. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna sue them because I think a lot of that content that I just said is stuff that I normally say and that you know it's my brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>